Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, is your toaster running a little warm? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're talking about menopause. Sure, it's a natural biological process, and eventually, every woman goes through it. But the experience is unique for each, and how hormone levels impact your marriage might just accelerate you on the road towards divorce. Allison Blod is a registered nutritional therapist and esthetician living in the wilds of Sweden. She's worked in the health and wellness industry for over 30 years, specializing in menopausal women's health, and she now runs her own online clinic, helping women worldwide manage the negative symptoms of menopause. Allison, welcome to the toaster. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Do you ever come to, I mean, is it frequent that you come to a a podcast where you're talking to two people who know absolutely nothing about what the subject is? Not so often, occasionally, but not that often, no. It's, it's mainly people, that, uh, mainly women and people that understand the subject. Maybe not as well as I do, but they do understand it. Okay, Pete, we're talking about menopause. I know a lot about menopause, Pete. Oh, uh, do tell, Seth. Please, illuminate. Okay, so here's, here's the deal. It's either too hot or too cold, and it doesn't matter what I think the temperature is. Okay? Yes. Okay. That You're right. I, it, it turns out we're on the same page. That's about all I know, though. And that's that, I think, is the end of the book for me. So here we're, <laughs> we're talking about menopause. We're talking about, um, you know, in particular, in the context of divorce, we're talking about the space in which menopause and the symptoms, and the physiological and emotional changes that, go, that come with menopause can impact the relationship. And Allison, we're, I mean, we're thrilled to have you here for a number of reasons. First, we're two dudes and we need to be educated and hopefully we will be vessels of that uh, education. You teach us what is going on. What are the, the hormonal factors, the physiological changes that are going on that we need to be aware of as men in our, in our partnerships with women and how, what are, if you're, if you're in this space in your life, what are the things that that could be breaking down your relationship that may be related to menopause that you might not know or may be exacerbated by the the menopausal transition that you might not be aware of in your relationship. And the stress that goes along with all that. Yeah. So uh, maybe let's start with the the what is it? The what is it? What are the symptoms? Uh, how do you give us the, the menopause 101? Yeah, that's a great question because I mean, even there's a lot of women that don't really truly understand what the menopause is. So the menopause is, it's actually a transition um, and it, it's called the menopause transition. The first stage of it is called perimenopause. And this starts on average around the age of 45. However, it can start younger. It can start later. It is very individual. And perimenopause is when our hormones really start to become very imbalanced, uh, predominantly estrogen and progesterone, which are the the two main uh, female sex hormones. And people always think of estrogen and progesterone as being just sex hormones, but 
Estrogen is is what we call a master hormone, and it, it's really responsible for virtually every bodily system. It's a crucial hormone. So what happens in perimenopause, which is the first stage, is kind of everything just becomes really imbalanced. It's like this wild roller coaster of hormones. And because of this, it can really set off the array of different menopausal symptoms. Hot flashes, that's quite a common one that we, a lot of women experience. Weight gain, night sweats, mood swings, you know, cognitive uh, decline. You can't remember things. You can't concentrate, uh, irritability. You know, the list goes on. There's over 40 plus uh, symptoms. And in perimenopause, you're still having menstruation. You can still get pregnant, but it's kind of where ho- the hormones are just starting to go a bit crazy and declining uh, gradually. I always like to liken estrogen as the diva hormone and progesterone is like the calming best friend. And what happens in perimenopause is the diva can be quite high. So estrogen levels can be very high and progesterone can be very low. And progesterone has a calming effect on estrogen. So when you can imagine, you know, the diva's there getting really overexcited and it doesn't have the calming best friend to say, you know, everything's going to be okay. So we can become very, one minute you can be crying, the next minute you can be laughing hysterically. It really affects our moods uh, considerably uh, as, as women. So that's perimenopause. And then we have the next phase, which is menopause. And this, on average, happens at the age of 51. When you're in perimenopause, when you haven't had a menstruation for a year, you're actually in menopause. So you're no longer fertile uh, and you will no longer have monthly menstruations. And then, basically, all the time after that, you're in something that we call postmenopause, and, and postmenopause, you know, is is basically all the time, you know, your the rest of your life, and you know, we're living so much longer now. That can be thirty plus years. You know, you're not menstruating anymore. You're not fertile. Your body still produces a very small amount of estrogen and progesterone from your uh, adrenal glands, which which sit on top of your kidneys. But you only have a very small amount. So that's when we start to see, you know, the risk for osteoporosis, for heart disease. There's actually some very interesting research just coming out. I think a couple of weeks ago, I read it on the the link between estrogen and dementia. So we need estrogen. And when we don't have that, we really see how how things change in in the body. So that's really the the rundown on what menopause is. I mean, if you think of the word menopause, meno is menstruation and pause is is the stopping, the pausing. So it's the, the stopping of menstruation. It sounds like perimenopause is the time of greatest uh, turmoil. Is that fair? Yeah, that that is fair to say because you've got all these, you know, high estrogen, low progesterone. Your hormones are all over the place. So, yeah, that that's fair to say. Um, the the symptoms of menopause, however, can carry on even when when you're in menopause or postmenopause. You still can experience symptoms that they, they unfortunately can take quite a few years to subside. I mean, some women still experience symptoms 10 years later. So it's 
it's unfortunately not all over when you get into postmenopause. Well, and that's that was my big question. Like in terms of how long these you can you can sort of expect, and uh, you know, recognizing that every woman is unique and the experiences are unique, uh, you know, from person to person. Like how long might you expect the turmoil to last? And and you know, a year without menstruating is menopause, but then postmenopause, you know, as you say. 30 years, but that like learning to live in, in your menopausal, postmenopausal skin, like how long does that, does that take? How long do you expect your, your life to be sort of turned upside down? It is very uh, individual, Pete. You know, some women just glide through it and don't have any problems whatsoever. And, and some women. Those really... are the friends that the other women hate, Pete. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's just a lot of. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, really, you know, you're looking from a couple of years to 10 years. So it, it's, it's hard to say because it is such an individual journey. I know we're going to talk about how this all impacts relationships and stress, but I had another question before we get there is. How does a hysterectomy impact this whole equation? Yeah, that that is a great question. It's actually a very important um, subject as well because, you know, we go through when we're in our 40, 45, 50, you know, we go through the stages. This is a natural process for, for women. If you've had a hysterectomy or, or if you've had um, chemotherapy, you know, some treatments for certain diseases, this can actually you know, stop your ovary function. And obviously, hysterectomy totally stops that. Uh, you will go into menopause. So, you know, if you've had a hysterectomy when you're younger, for, for whatever reason, you, you will go into menopause because you will, your body will not be producing estrogen anymore. So, there is uh, women that also go into an early menopause we don't really understand why this is, you know, for no apparent reason. So it can actually happen younger than the age of 40. But if you have a hysterectomy or, or you, for whatever reason, if you've had chemotherapy, for example, your, your uh, physician would normally put you on hormone replacement therapy, especially if, if you're younger. Because you need estrogen. If you're in your twenties, you, you really need estrogen to, to, you know, get through and be healthy. And how about if you're in your 50s or 60s? Do they do that to prevent some of this osteoporosis and dementia and other things you mentioned? Yeah, right. Is that like a is that an unexpected course of of treatment later in life? Hormone replacement therapy is a very um, controversial subject. It's something you could do a whole podcast on, and it's the research that's coming out now. I mean, it basically just tops up the hormones that you haven't got. Uh, but unfortunately, there was a, a, re, a study done that was it came out roughly the early 2002 called the Women's Initiative Study. And, and this study was wrongly reported by the press before the people that the, the researchers had time to report it. And it was basically, long story short, it was saying that, you know, hormone replacement therapy puts you at high risk of breast cancer, of cardiovascular disease. So it was all very negative attached to this. And this just set off, you know, a huge percentage of women in the world stopped taking it, of course. Right. And it's never really recovered from that. 
It's hard to unring that bell and re-educate yes. people with the proper information. But the the products that they were testing then are completely different to what they are now. I mean, it, it, we hormone replacement therapy is uh, using um, yams, the, the hormones from yams, which is a, um, a, fr- a root vegetable. So it's it's very what we call bioidentical to, to our own uh, estrogen. And the research that's coming out, it it is very beneficial. However, it, it's not for everybody. You know, you've got to look at your your health and 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 if it suits you. But what I say to my clients is that have a look at everything, get the knowledge, understand what is available to you, and then you can make you know an informed decision. But you need to understand with you yourself, talk to your doctor, and 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 see if hormone replacement therapy could be something for you because you know it's not only can help to relieve the symptoms it it can also be very beneficial against you know when you're in postmenopause against osteoporosis dementia cardiovascular disease cardiovascular disease is the number one killer in women as they get older and that is not spoken about we we think predominantly of breast cancer but cardiovascular disease our, our rate of that goes up quite considerably as, as we come into menopause and i assume you can't fix this by just eating a ton of yams <laughs> <laughs> hashtag dumb male <laughs> 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 okay, so all of that sounds horrible, and I feel like there is something <laughs> something wrong that I have no I have no field to relate to this, right, Seth? Like I don't know, you're significantly older than me. Oh, you're uh, full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so here here's the deal: is is we. We don't understand. So my, my fiance has recently gone through this over the last few years. And she would ask me, is it hot in here or is it cold in here? And I would say, I'm always cold. So no, I don't think it's hot in here. And like, she's just sweating. Like you can tell she's like, was wearing a, a sweater over her t-shirt. Now she, God, she's just taking that sweater off as fast as she can go. And she has an uncanny ability to say, can you turn the air up one degree and I will literally like go to the nest and say, what do you think the temperature is right now? And she'll say 73 degrees and she'll be right. Like it's unbelievable. Are you, are you saying there's like a menopausal superpower I, there that might has not be. yet been documented? There might be because I will be like, God, it's a little cold in here. And she'll say, yeah, it feels like it's 69 degrees and I'll go and it'll be 69 degrees. This Fahrenheit for people that need to, you know, translate this. <laughs> Let me just say, is it possible? Is it within the realm of possibility that she's, this is just a long con? Like she's sure she's gone through, but maybe she's like on her phone changing the temperature on the nest just to troll you, which would be an alpha level troll. Yeah, I think it could be both, actually. She could know and be trolling me. But (laughs) the point of what you're saying is the experience that I have with this is just trying to be understanding or appreciative, because I hate to even say understanding, because she's like, you can't understand, which is right. So like, yeah, what can I do? And, And I just looked at her one day and I said, I get that for the rest of my life, I could potentially be, you know, sleeping next to someone who wants the... 58 degrees at night and I'll be bundled up and I'm always cold and that's just the price you pay. Like, that's it. That's the cost of admission. You do it because that's what your spouse is going through or the person you love. So that's how I try to handle it. But there's other stressors, right, Allison? Like, this isn't just as simple as put on a sweater, take off a sweater. 
No, unfortunately not. What you have to understand is that it is is estrogen. Estrogen, as as I said, has a profound effect on the body. And what that one of the many things that it's needed for is like thermoregulation in the body. So when the levels start to decline or fluctuate in perimenopause, that can all of a sudden just trigger off these these hot flashes, uh, night sweats. So you know there is there is a reason for that. Not that it makes it any any better, but I, I think that if you understand that you know you're not going crazy, that there there is a reason why this is this is happening. When all that happens, though, right? How does that then transition into I'm upset, I'm mad, I'm crying, I'm um, laughing, I'm angry. I can't trust my memory. That's one I get all the time. My my perimenopausal brain is just, it's a fog all the time. I, I can't trust what I see. Yeah, we need estrogen. We have estrogen receptors all over the body. And the receptor, it's like the lock and key. The, the receptor is the lock and, and the key is estrogen because estrogen is a hormone and hormones are chemical messengers. So they send signals out to the body to, to do something. So what happens is, you know, the, the receptors in the brain, when, if we're talking about uh, not being able to remember things and, and moods, et cetera, the levels of estrogen aren't there. So it can't send the messages out. So the brain function doesn't work the same. You know, it's needed for so many different functions and also, you know, our emotions, our, our moods. There's lots of hormones that are related to mood, like serotonin, dopamine, et cetera. And, and those become all upset. So it really triggers off this, you can't remember things. You'll, you'll be talking and all of a sudden you can't remember what the question was. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. I deal with this all the time. I always find it an alarming statistic. And as you know, we want to make sure that children are safe and with a sober parent. And Soberlink helps maintain that relationship. Because if you can show that you have independent third-party verification that you are not drinking when you have the children then you're going to be able to focus on them and spend quality time with them and alleviate concerns from the other side. Now, how do they possibly do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked, dear listener. Uh, it's a device, Soberlink. It's, it's a, it looks like a breathalyzer, but it's not quite a breathalyzer. It's even more than that. You blow into it when you're about to get in the car with the kids, when you're about to do the handoff, when you're driving carpool. It has facial recognition built right into it so it can tell who is blowing into the device. It sends the results directly to the people that need to know. As Seth said, it's that real-time verification that you are safe to be with the kids. There are two models. There's a Wi-Fi model. Model that's uh, that can and uh, Bluetooth connects to your phone uh, as you uh, and sends data via your phone. And there's a cellular model for a little bit more uh, where you don't even need a phone. It's just connected to the cell network and sends the data when you blow into it. Uh, incredibly useful. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring technology has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And courts love it because it's a system that keeps them focused on what's in the best interest of the child, which is really what's most important. To sign up and receive $50 off your device, just visit Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink, the whole Soberlink team, for sponsoring How to Split a Toaster. Okay, so here's my question then. 
because you're talking to a couple guys here. And there are a lot of guys that listen to the show, a lot of women that listen to the show. What can you tell the guys out there on how they can be supportive when the person you love is going through this? And what can you tell the women to say, try not to beat up on the guy about this? It's just this is naturally happening because I know this brings a lot of stress in relationships. Yeah, it, it really does. And it can be difficult as as a woman to manage it because you you can one minute be crying and the next minute you can be shouting at somebody. And I think the it's understanding, isn't it? It's knowledge. And and if you can sit down with your partner and explain why you're feeling like this. So it's very important initially that you understand yourself why why you're feeling like this. And then if you can explain that, you know, I may, I'm going through the menopause and it may happen that I could be snappy or I can be irritable or or moody, but it's it's nothing against you. You know, it's just something, this is a, a time in my life that I'm going through and because of the lack of estrogen, this may happen. But don't take it personally. <laughs> so, guys, listen up out there, guys. This could be the only time in the world when a woman tells you, it's not you, it's me, and it's actually true. Right? <laughs> I, I feel like this is, a, this is as good a time as any to talk about where, like, the, the issues that people need to be thinking about when you talk about this, like, developing this sort of spirit of understanding and communication, to talk about where... The, the struggles come with menopause vis-a-vis relationships. Like, where do relationships fall under stress because of, of this lack of, and it sounds like really right at the bullseye of this, this lack of communication. There is, if, you know, when do relationships struggle? When do people start kind of falling apart? It's interesting. There's been a lot of, uh, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but in Europe, there's, there has been in, in the last, like, four or five months, quite a lot of press on the correlation between menopause and and divorce rates. A, a lot of it is to do with that, maybe. We we don't know fully. But a lot of women as they become like older when they're in midlife or or you know their children have left home and, and they've got more time, they all of a sudden start to kind of reassess their life and think, you know, what am I doing? I want to do this. I want to go there. And that can stimulate them to Maybe, you know, depending on their relationship to maybe reassess things and, and think, no, I want to do what I want to do. But when it comes to menopause, there's so many issues going on at this time in a woman's life that it can become overwhelming, not only because of the lack of hormones, but because, you know, they've maybe got a career, uh, they've got aging parents that need looking after. So everything can really just come to a head. And they really just kind of look out at everything in their life and think, what am I doing? You, you really start questioning things because be, you can become more distant from your partner. So you can lose uh, intimacy. I think that's a, a, a big player in this because uh, the hormones that, that we need for libido and sex drive diminish quite considerably in, in uh, menopause. So you, you, you're not intimate with your partner anymore. And also testosterone, which women do have as well, that declines naturally with age. And that is a big driver in, in your libido and your sex drive. Um, so you, you really become very distant. 
and and that obviously isn't good for a relationship. And menopause can have a big effect on women's mental health, you know, your emotional well-being. Women can suffer from depression, you know, not just feeling a bit moody. You know, it can really become, um, you know, full-blown depression, which obviously you should get help from from a doctor from. And Pete, when, when, when Alison's talking about this stressor on the Family Law Menopause Project, that was this research that was done, and that eight out of 10 women experiencing marriage difficulties during uh, perimenopause or menopause. Wow. Putting a strain on the family, eight out of 10. That's a huge number. And so what we think a lot about in the divorce world is, oh, the kids are going to be graduating. Let's just say that, you know, the wife was staying home and raising the children and the husband was working, and then we think, oh, well, now they go off to college. There's a transition in how, what's going on in the house. They're, they're empty nesters now, and now they're getting divorced because they realize they don't like each other anymore. They've just grown apart, and they've become more roommates and raising kids together. There's other stuff happening here that is physiological, psychological, that has nothing to do with children leaving the nest. As the divorce uh, the attorney, the family law attorney, I mean, do you hear that sort of about the relationship strain that you can tie back to menopause? Does that ever bubble up to the surface in your work? Yeah. I have a hard time imagining it would. It does? Yeah. I know the most intimate things about people's relationship, and more importantly, from my line of work, is the breakdown in those relationships. Yeah. They rarely come in and tell me what was great about their relationship. They might say, yeah, we had some good times, but... This will come up, and it and it usually comes from a couple different angles, and I hear it all the time. Like, because I always tell people, "Look, you're going through a divorce. Please do not date anyone. And if you do, don't be on social about it. Keep it quiet. It's just adding someone in the mix. Even if the children are out of the house and it doesn't impact parenting, it will have no legal significance in your divorce." Now that you filed for divorce and you're going out on a date, but it'll have emotional significance. And this is what I hear all the time. Oh my God, I can't wait to get back out dating. We haven't had sex in five years. I hear that type of stuff all the time. And a lot of that is from women who are either through or going through the menopause process. And no one's really talking. I said, well, did you talk to your husband about this? What happened? And they don't necessarily tie it to it. If, if some some of them do, but if I mention it, they're like, "Oh, like it's almost like a light bulb goes off." Yeah, Allison, does this sound familiar? Yeah, that's really interesting, Seth. Really interesting because, yeah, I mean, the the clients that I work with, obviously, it's a slightly different uh, area, but yeah, absolutely, that it's it's a difficult time and it really really affects relationships, and I think that intimacy piece is is huge. And, and lack of communication and confusion all comes together really to, to a head. And there's so, I think women, you know, if they understood more about that this actually could be perimenopause or menopause, then there's so much help out there. I mean, when we talk about intimacy, it can actually be, because of the lack of estrogen, it can actually be very painful to have sexual intercourse because of vaginal dryness. And there's just so many easy things that you can get from your GP that really, really work. So it's 
in a way, it's, it's, I'm not saying that's the answer to everything, but there's small things that you can do that can really help. And I think that, Pete, in, in, from the divorce context, yeah, is you have to meet your client where they are, even if they don't necessarily understand where they are. And what I mean by that is, it's not like I have someone call me up and say, oh, I really want to talk to you about divorce. I've been going through menopause and it's just not working anymore. That, that's not what happens, right? There's all this other stuff. But if I will bring up the subject or if the subject comes up because I'll talk to them one day and they'll be very upset, the next day they'll be like, if I can see the hormones going, you know, I might mention it and say, hey, are you talking to your general practitioner about this? What, what can you do to try to level this out? There's, you know, go talk to them. This might have an, have, have an impact on how you're receiving information, how you're giving information. Which can have an impact on your divorce, depending the context. That's right. That's right. You don't want to be going having a bad day hormonally on the day of your deposition or day of trial. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. So, and even talking on the day of negotiations and we're at mediation, there's a lot of really quote unquote big days in the divorce process that if your home ones are taking over, then we need to kind of identify that and kind of step back and say, look, we really want to settle this case. It's not a good day. And it's not because she's some crazy lunatic that doesn't want to settle her case. She's going through menopause and she's having hot flashes in there and it's freaking 55 degrees in this office and she can't focus. And we talk about a a serious complex legal issue and money and how it's going to be managed for the next 20 years. And she's forgetting things. I, as the practitioner need to say, we're going to reschedule. I feel like we need to also look at the, the other social relationships that are, I mean, this is our podcast is a divorce podcast about saving relationships. Right. And there's so much research, I think, especially uh, maybe bolstered by the impacts of the pandemic that talk about how, um, you know, a, a community beyond your sort of intimate partner relationship is of value. To me, what I'm hearing you say, Allison, is that menopause, perimenopause, menopause can be incredibly isolating that you can feel like you are alone in this process. And you you might be, you know, uh, reacting to the world, experiencing the world in a way that makes you feel alone. Can you talk a little bit about the value of, of sort of community in going through this process? Is there is there value to really making sure that you have a, a solid set of friends beyond your your partner? Yeah, absolutely. Friendship is is crucial and being able to, talk to other women that are going through the same thing. So you you realize that, you know, you're not on your own. If you think every single woman will go through this, but it, there's still, uh, it's actually, there's a bit of a menopause re- revolution going on in, in Europe at the moment. And women have just really stepped up and started to really want information and they won't take no from a, for an answer from their doctors. But Having that community and, and group of friends that understand what you're going through is really crucial. Absolutely. You know, because you, you can discuss and, you know, you can laugh a bit and everybody has different symptoms and it just makes you feel you're not alone. And, and I think that is really, really important. Absolutely. So finding, you know, if you haven't got uh, any friends that are going through this time phase, then there's many very, very good groups that you can find online that, you know, you could 
chat with people that are going through the same thing. You know, women stand together. We're, we're very good. We're very, very caring and we want to help other people. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid to ask for support and help in, within these, uh, menopausal groups. So are there support groups out there? I mean, there's a lot of support groups for a lot of different things out there. If, if someone was Googling, would they find, you know, a menopausal support group or where do you, where do they turn to? I guess is the real question I'm asking. There, there there's many support groups, uh, very good quality support groups. If you look on Facebook, there's many groups there, like private groups that that you can join. Um, I know I'm I'm not quite sure in the US, but you you must have there's menopausal association societies uh, that you can find online that would absolutely help you and lead you in in the the right direction. But there's a lot there's a lot of support out there if you just need to look for it and ask for help. Just as we get to to winding up, uh, you know, e- even as we've been talking about relationships and what goes on, what what can you offer as a as a nutritionist, right? Like, what can you offer uh, women who are listening to this who might like a, a leg up on on mitigating some of the harsher symptoms? How, is there anything they can do in their world? Diet, sleep, exercise. What what do you recommend? You have to make time to look after yourself, and divorce is is a exceptionally stressful time uh, and you really you know your health maybe is put on the back burner but you have to look after yourself you have to give your body nutrients and and hydration otherwise you're just going to be feeling terrible so i think really deciding that i will look after myself even though i'm feeling terrible and i'm very upset and very anxious so you need certain nutrients to be able to manage this time in your life because when when we're very stressed we actually burn or or certain minerals and vitamins that we can become depleted in because your body uses up a lot of these uh vitamins when we're very stressed uh in particular magnesium uh zinc and the b vitamins they can become depleted when we're really suffering from stress Pete is like frantically taking notes on what to add to the yams right there. Yeah, right, I right. Saw that. Just yams <laughs> and a bunch of powdered vitamins and minerals. It's going to be great. The best diet, and this, com- this comes up in, in research as well, which is very good because it gives you an all-round wonderful array of different colors, different nutrients, is the Mediterranean-style diet. And, okay, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you have to live near the Mediterranean. It's really a diet that's um, mainly fish, poultry, uh, not so much red meat, uh, nuts and seeds, uh, vegetables, fruits, and and healthy fats. So avocado, olive oil, olives, butter, etc. One key thing that will make you feel better is if you avoid processed foods. That's just around. That's everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anymore. Right. Right. Let me get yeah, okay. my bag of chips here in a minute, but I hear what you're saying. What I'm hearing is you just told me to like move to Santorini and take a break and eat a lot of Greek yogurt and fish and I'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but processed foods, uh, we live in such a toxic food environment. And, you know, we could see that by the, the, health and obesity of the of the all nations really has gone down considerably what we want to focus on is eating foods that nourish our body 
you know, majority of processed, highly refined sugary foods have no nutritional value or very little nutritional value. So really thinking about eating whole foods, eating foods that you can see what they are, not just a packet full of ingredients, you know, different ingredients that half the time you can't even see what they are. That's the rule at our place. If you can't understand the ingredients, you shouldn't be eating it. Yeah, that's a good rule. Because when you're stressed and when you're upset, if you are eating a high sugar diet, this just makes things worse because it basically shoots your blood sugar up. And and when we have high blood sugar, you know, it sets off this cascade of detrimental things in the body due to the stress hormones, one, one in particular, cortisol. You know, you it can cause sleep problems. It can cause weight gain, you know, hormone imbalances, uh, high blood pressure. The, the list goes on. In menopause, amongst other things, you can become, if you're really eating these sort of foods regularly, your body can't handle it as well as it did when you were younger. And you can become insulin resistant. And the stage on from that is diabetes too. Well, that's not great. No. Again, back to the Santorini diet, you're going to be fine. And if you need to go to Santorini, I'm sure the locals will welcome you with open arms. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I forgot. Okay. Uh, this is this is illuminating. I, we sure appreciate you uh, joining us and educating us uh, on what is happening to, in many cases, our partners, soon to be former partners, potentially new partners um, at, at this stage in life. Really terrific, Allison. Where where can people learn more about your work and, and what you're up to? The best place probably is, is via my uh, website, which is uh, alisonblad.com, and that's B-L-A-D-H. Uh, on my website, I've got all, I'm on all social media uh, links, and there's actually a resources page there with lots of pre-downloads and, and recipe and meal plans for all different menopausal symptoms. So if any of your listeners want to go on there and download, please uh, feel free. Fantastic. Well, we, we sure appreciate it. Learned a lot. Seth is a better person as a result of it. I already came in at a pretty high bar, so... Yeah, I was pretty low to start, so that's not a big increase. Like, you know. Right. (laughs) Listener question. Seth, we have a question from a listener uh, who follows the show, and uh, I'm very excited to hear you talk about this because you're you're an attorney and this question actually i think presupposes uh, a, a situation that is counter to your best interest so let's see what happens here so i feel like you're setting me up like did your yeah. wife write this question <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Seth and Pete. I read your FAQ on this. This would be on uh, nlgfamilylaw.com. And I listened to the show, but I don't think you've talked about my questions, so I thought I'd post them here. I have a few questions, and I'm happy to have them treated as different or altogether because they relate to each other. Okay, well, what the hey-who? Let's take them all. Uh, Number one, you say it's allowed to file paperwork yourself in the state of Florida. I'm in Gainesville. But what comes after that if we have a kiddo? He's 16, and we've all agreed how to do time-sharing, but in your FAQ, it seems to state that once a minor is involved, we can't self-file anymore. Do you want me to read them all, Seth? There are three. This is a question in three parts. Whichever way you want to do it, Pete, you're in charge. Let's take it one at a time. So what do you think about that? There's a minor involved. Can you still file for your own divorce? Answer is yes. I'm going to go check our FAQs, make sure that they're accurate. So thank you for that. Okay. So here's the deal. You are not required 
to have a lawyer in a family law case. If you file by yourself, whether you have a child or not, then um, you can do that. And in fact, unlike a criminal case, a lawyer will not be appointed for you. There's a lot of cases, and we call that in our world, someone that represents themselves, they're pro se, P-R-O space S-E. And the judges have what they call the pro se docket. What I think I need to double check on the FAQs is if you're going for a simplified dissolution, sometimes a simplified dissolution means you can't have children. So I think that's the confusion. Okay. And I'll go kind of clean that up. But yes, you can file by yourself. You have a 16-year-old. If you guys agree on your parenting plan, as long as the court approves it, because there's certain requirements that need to be in every parenting plan as a matter of law. So the judge has to make sure that they're in there. And if the judge approves your plan, you don't need a lawyer. Okay. N- uh, number two, what happens if my soon-to-be ex changes his mind or something in a year if we've self-filed and done everything right to process the divorce ourselves, I, I gathered the first time? I assume if a year down the road something changes, I'm adding that, she says, I assume get an attorney and duke it out. So I'm, I'm reading into it a little bit, but down the road, something changes. Okay. So a year down the road, here's what I'm hearing in that question that you've gotten the final judgment of divorce, that the, the judge has signed off on the parenting plan, on the marital settlement agreement, and you're done. But unlike a slip and fall case or a contract case, you're never really done in family law. The courthouse door is always unlocked because the court understands and the law understands that we're dealing with children. Things might change over time. And in Florida, If you want to change the parenting plan, or if you want to change child support, or if you want to change alimony, as long as, and here's the term of art, if there's been a substantial change in circumstances that was not anticipated at the time of the final judgment or the last major change, supplemental final judgment. So here's an example. Kid is 16. Things are going great. A year down the road, unfortunately dad gets um, really sick and he can't care for the child anymore. Well, that's a big change that was unanticipated, right? Sure. It's no fault of his own. This is an example where it doesn't cast blame, but dad just doesn't have the wear for all because he has to be on medication and the medication makes him tired or forgetful or whatever the case may be. So there are, um, it's very case specific and it's very, um, detailed oriented, but that's how you can go back in. Um, Now, I will tell you, if a kid is 17 and you file for a supplemental petition to modify the final judgment on the parenting plan, you're not getting to trial before that kid gets 18. Yeah, 18, and then it doesn't doesn't matter. Exactly. Kids out. Okay. There's a third one. All right, here we go. Yeah, number three. Obviously, since we're not trained, I'm sure we aren't looking around every corner. Are there any places in the process where we have to watch out that our rights are protected that a lawyer would know, but we wouldn't have thought of? Yeah, that's that feels loaded to me, but like there, that feels like a bigger answer than a bullet. Yeah. And that's, that's the struggle when you're trying to do it on your own, you want to be amicable. And I see these agreements which are legal contracts being written by non-lawyers. So just that in of itself should give people pause. So how do I recommend you deal with that? 
is there's a lot of things around the corners. There's a lot of things that you haven't thought of because why would you think of it? This is your first time going through this process where I've handled and been involved in thousands of cases. I've seen a lot of pitches. So one thing you can do is you can come to an agreement in principle and one of you can go talk to a lawyer and say, hey, here's what we really want to do. We want to keep it amicable. Our kid's 16. We need a parenting plan. But we want to make sure that it's going to be approved by the court and it, all the paperwork's filed correctly. And then the lawyer will say, okay, tell me your plan. Here's some things that need to be in it. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? What about this? Oh, you know what? You might be giving up too much here. Are you sure you want to do that? And you're allowed to say, yeah, I'm sure I want to do that. I appreciate you told me what some legislature passed in Tallahassee and some governor signed and some judge sitting on the bench interpreted because that lawyer is interpreting what we call the law to tell you you could do better, but you don't have to care about what all that says. Yeah. Okay. You can make your own law. You can make your own contract. It's your children. You can decide as long as there's certain basic requirements in the parenting plan. So that's one way you can approach that issue. But yeah, there's a lot of landmines out there in Especially with younger children, that's a long time to have a parenting plan that might need to be revisited. If they're 16, there's less risk because there's less time. Yeah, you're kind of okay. Yeah, right. Well, and that's how uh, the question ends. Sorry, big questions. I might just need to hire you, but if you could give me a starting place, that would be great. Uh, This was a great show. We have a great question. We had a fantastic guest teaching us stuff that clearly we need to know. And uh, I'm really grateful for this episode. I hope everybody else had as good a time as we did and learned learned a thing or two uh, about how to save your relationship. So on behalf of of Allison Blod and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright. And we'll catch you right here next week on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.